I think one tendency I had when I was starting out was to be a lone wolf. And I think that's really not the way to go. It's time for Backstage Chats with Women in Music, where the stories and voices of female music makers inspire women like you to be dreamers, to be rule breakers, and to unleash your inner rock star. Podcasting from Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world, here's your host, Bea Wood. And welcome to another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. I'm your host, Thea Wood. Today's featured artist is a woman who hypnotized me when I first heard her live electro-pop performance at South by Southwest 2019. She's a singer-songwriter, producer, flautist, and thanks to modern technology, a one-woman symphony of sound, the talented Angela Sheik. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a thrill to have you here. And I have to say, full disclosure for our audience, we are not backstage today. I am actually in Detroit and you are here from sunny California, assuming it is sunny. It is sunny almost every day. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to start with the shakedown. And this is a set of kind of rapid fire questions that we ask all of our special guests. And if you're ready, we'll get started. I'm ready. Excellent. Okay. The first question is, who was your first concert? You know, this was the, the hardest question for me on the list of questions because I, I honestly don't remember. I think the first, the first ticket that I bought, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't grow up going to a lot of concerts, like the, the things that we would go to um, when I was in middle school and high school were like band concerts for our school. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so we just didn't have a lot of opportunity for that. Um, I think there was a lot of school trips and, and stuff, but the, the first one that I remember buying uh, was when I moved to Philadelphia. I bought online my first Imogen Heap concert, and I actually um, was confused about the date and totally missed it. So the first concert I tried to go to <laughs> was a complete wash, just to show you a little bit how clueless I am. I actually I did end up seeing her uh, a few times, but uh, that was the first concert. Like I was so excited, so had my heart set on it. And then when I was honestly walking out the door, I looked at the ticket and realized I bought the one for Boston and not for Philadelphia or something ridiculous like that. So it was kind of a rough experience, but (laughs) that's the first thing that came to mind. Sounds like it. And there's kind of a lesson for the audience in that. Make sure you choose the right date and the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Details. Details matter for sure. Details matter. (laughs) Next question. What was the first album you bought with your own money? I remember I grew up really poor and I remember standing in um, some box store staring at a Madonna True Blue album mm-hmm. and not being able to afford it and just wanting that so bad. And it, it wasn't until a few years later that the um, record labels started having these um, like one cent deals. I don't know if you remember that where you could buy oh, yeah. 10 or it was $1 deals. You could buy 10 albums for 10 bucks or something like that. So I definitely remember my first list of albums that I got from there. Um, Tupac, uh, Rose that grew from concrete was on there. Uh, Arrested development, Sarah McLaughlin's, uh, what was it? Fumbling toward ecstasy. I mean, uh-huh. I was really just I grew up kind of sheltered. So I was really reaching to all corners of the universe to try to find music that I liked. And, it, and, and I listened to those albums a lot. So in a, in a weird way, both Sarah McLaughlin and Tupac Shakir <laughs> really influenced me over the years. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? It's like it, it, diversification, right? Get as broad yeah. of an experience as possible. In my own ignorance, I, I got quite a broad, broad experience. <laughs> 
but I loved I loved that music and uh, you know a lot of know a lot of it by heart. Fast forwarding today, which artist or band is in heavy rotation on your playlist right now? Oh, let's see. I discovered Agnes Obel a few years ago. She's a fantastic kind of dark singer songwriter, dark pop. But I saw her live, and she's phenomenal. I still listen to a lot of trip hop, so I'm always listening to Portishead. They're my favorite band. Oh yeah. Whenever I meet people, especially here in LA, I just look people up on Spotify and and create a long list of, of it's like my to do playlist, mm-hmm. which I use to stalk people later. And I've discovered some really great music. There's a band out here called Kauf, K-A-U-F, which is electro pop. They had a fantastic show and I just started listening to them. Very chill. Uh, okay. One more band, or um, I guess she's an artist, Rupert. Uh-huh. That is dream, kind of dream pop. Yeah. A lot of chill stuff. Which woman has had the most influence on your career? I have to go back to Imogen Heap. I think she's, she's been somebody that um, when I first saw her live, I, I would say she changed how I approached recording versus live experiences. Mm. Um, and just her, her innovation, her um, optimism when she speaks. The last show that I saw her, she had an all-woman audio crew. I tried to find press on that, couldn't find it anywhere. But what a fantastic thing. We're covering yeah, that right yeah. now. That's amazing. I, I really tried. I wanted to retreat, re- retweet it. I wanted to help spread the word and I couldn't find it. I, I only knew that because I had, uh, I went to the show, saw a lot of women, you know, work in the uh, front of house and stage. And um, I had a friend on that team and she said, yeah, it was an all woman team. Uh, Danielle Thwaites, another artist here in LA. So um, yeah, I mean, kudos to her. She's, she's just always inspiring me. I think I work hard and I look at her and I and think, nah, I got to step my game up. I haven't inv- invented any MIDI <laughs> instruments or, you know, it's, it's, it's just uh, amazing to watch her career. Okay. So everybody has Phenomenal. to put that on their playlist and, and everybody check her out. If you could have dinner with any woman dead or alive, who would it be? I love this question. Yeah. This was really fun. Uh, to explore. I had dinner with several people in my mind and um, <laughs> it was a really fun experience. Um, but I got to say, I, I might go with Bjork. I Ooh. just think that would be a really fan, fantastic experience. And, and she has, you know, even a, a longer track record than Imogen and just such a groundbreaking producer and just mm-hmm. somebody who is completely there was only one Bjork. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I would love to have dinner with her. I think it could be a little interesting to hold a conversation, but. <laughs> and, and you, and please ask if you can record it, if this happens. Oh man, I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll try to remember that. I'm trying to remember that. And Bjork are yes. listening. We're putting it out there for her. The last question is, what is one life goal you'd like to accomplish before climbing that golden stairway to heaven? It's always been in the periphery. It's always been a long-term goal to, um, I have a lot of goals for my, for myself, for my own career, but really I want to attain those so that they can kind of go to the wayside and I can focus on mentoring and, and kind of opening the door, raising the tide for, for everybody that's maybe in the beginning stages. I, I'm, I'm coming from, I used to be a middle school band teacher and I think I still have a really strong itch for that, just to, to bring opportunities to people who maybe didn't grow up in one of the big markets for music, um, and just show them what, what opportunities are there. 
So yeah, mentorship is, is a, is a huge lifetime goal, just figuring out some way to hold camps or connect older artists to younger artists and just save them the blood, sweat and tears, the money. Exactly. Part of what our foundation does is raise, we raise scholarship grants for uh, teens who a lot of them are at risk, um, either in foster care, orphans, refugees, immigrants. And uh, a lot of these girls are going sound camps and to music camps. And it creates a community and a safe place to express yourself. And, um, you know, we really truly believe that by our conversations and what our older generations are doing, Doing, we can right. kind of show them, hey, we understand, we've been there, here are some things that we can do. But then there are also these ground, you know, these ground level organizations like Girls Rock Austin or soundgirls.org. And, yeah. and they're helping to groom the next generation and hopefully give them a support system that helps eliminate the gender disparity in music right now. It's a fuzzy feel good. It's a feel good. And you know, it's a good point that you raised that um, I don't need to reinvent the the wheel with my own dreams that there are really great foundations that are already in place. There are really great uh, things that are happening that maybe I could just throw my weight in with rather than creating something from the ground up. After the show, we'll certainly be happy to talk with you about that. Sounds great. Yeah. I know there's beats by girls out here too. I mean, there's, there are a lot of really, um, really cool things that that other groups are are doing. So. And power to them all. And power. Absolutely. You got it. Um, now, I wanted to talk a little bit about your particular style of composing and recording and performing, because a lot of our audience are not musicians or not in the industry, and they're probably okay. going to be curious about what a looping artist says, because you are truly an outstanding looping artist. In fact, you won the Boss Competition for National Best Looping Artist. Which year was that? Uh, that was October 2011. 2011. Yeah, I was just talking to my looper the other day, and uh, I was saying, oh, you're seven years old. I can't believe how old you are. Um, So yeah, (laughs) I have a little loop pedal that I've had for seven years. (laughs) So I I think I might define a loop artist a little different than uh, differently than other people, but because I see a lot of people using loop pedals to maybe augment their guitar playing. But mm-hmm. I, I think of a, and that's, that's great, but I don't think of that as a loop artist. Like I don't think of Ed Sheeran as a loop artist. He loops and he's a great songwriter, you know, of course. When I look at the loop pedal, that is my instrument. And any little voice or, or toys or um, unusual sounds that I put through that are, are just my instrument creating the, the soundscape. So I think I approach it a little bit differently. And and I think that's what a true loop artist is. It's somebody that approaches the loop pedal, which is a pedal that just takes whatever sound input you give it and put it on repeat so that you can stack it, layer it, and create a song right in front of your audience. Most of that is live, but sometimes people have pre-recorded stuff there too. If you use that as your medium, then then you're a loop artist. And um, I think it was just a, a bit of a gateway drug for me if you will, I, I started out as a piano player who would loop. And then, um, that, you know, that was fun and I enjoyed it. But when I, when I started songwriting using that loop player, it just opened up a whole world of creativity and passion for me about production, about songwriting, about gear, textures that I really found something completely new, a new art form, if you will, uh, a new expression. So that's how I approach it. I approach the loop pedal as my 
canvas. From her album Home Before Dark, here is Angela Sheik's song, Bring It On. just somebody who listens extraordinarily exciting because you do your looping live you create a sound live and you loop it with your looping pedal and then you create another sound and then like you said you layer and pretty soon you have what I was calling the symphony of sound and you just you can hear all of these things coming together when you're live you can see it you can see it that's why I think that's why it's so special just you know a person that's not a musician um, they get to see a song come together. I think that's so that's so cool. And maybe that's the teacher in me. I agree. Sorry, I agree. <laughs> and 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 one of my questions about that is how to remember the order that this goes in oh. because I look at it and you have su- such a large repertoire of music and some things you just do for fun that are on Instagram and so on and so forth. How do you keep that order? in your head and and perform it live? Three things. First, classical training. So I just repeat, 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 refine, critique, repeat. Um, I take video. That's how I got started is putting videos on (laughs) on, uh, YouTube because I had to look back and and remember what I did. I couldn't remember. And I'm watching my feet saying, oh, okay, that went on on loop two, that went on loop three. So I can remember my arrangement. And um, I also take copious notes because oh. my, my memory is honestly not that great. So I have binders of lyrics with little notes of, you know, um, play bell or uh, <laughs> step clap, <laughs> say Papa or whatever the, you know, whatever weird sound I'm making. So those are locked in, but I always also try to have the element of discovery. So something new is happening every single time. <laughs> right. Does that well, answer your question? It does. It does. And, and honestly, I love that description of it because when I listen to your music, I, you know what I see in my mind? Like if I just close my eyes and I think of you performing this, I think of you performing, layering all of this and a dancer coming on for each new sound onto the stage cool. and then them all being choreographed at once. So if you ever, you know, are thinking about what you might want to do for a stage, a big stage performance. That's an amazing idea. I would love to see a new dancer coming in for each sound. And then they all come together and start dancing together, doing their own separate beat while the other ones are, do you see what I'm saying? I love, you just blew my mind. That is such a cool idea. I've talked to several um, dance 
dance teachers and dancers about doing something because I just I love dance. Dance is so such just like a spiritual experience, but um, it's so expressive. But it, it never it's never happened. So that that really makes it more concrete. What a cool idea! Okay, as long as I get to go see it when you when you what choreograph else you got? it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it in Austin. Woohoo! Oh my gosh, they would love that. (laughs) And speaking of live performances, I did want to touch on the fact and let the audience know for those who have never seen Angela perform live, you like to be barefoot. Yeah, I do. I do. (laughs) Is that weird? How how does it make you feel to be barefoot versus shooed while you're performing? It's just another element. I mean, I'm, I'm a one person show. I'm coming up with all this equipment. I Usually I'm throwing a lot at the sound person who's trying to figure out. Uh, and then I have to take off my shoes and I don't, you know, I mean, sometimes listening venues are gross. So I want to just limit it to a small area. Um, but I, and I used to wear shoes all the time. And I just realized, you know, if I really care about being present and connecting with the audience and not thinking about my feet, like just even that 5% more brainwave that needs to go having a shoe versus not having a shoe. I just need to eliminate it. It's just, it's just a little tiny barrier between myself and the audience. If I remove the shoe, then, then my, my feet can just feel a little, all those little buttons more easily. And I can think more about where I am and who I'm, who I'm singing to. And that's, that's really important to me. So just trying to remove those barriers. Well, I, you know, I just think it, if you're using your feet, you know, would you wear gloves while you play piano? Maybe, maybe not, but I, maybe, point. maybe it's right. very similar to that. And yeah. uh, for those who are interested, Angela's toes can be seen on her video, Chin Up Girl for NPR, which actually <laughs> got a really big kind of top honorable mention kind of thing. It did. It, it, it did not win the contest, but they really featured you and loved what you did. And I had to ask the song yeah. Chin Up Girl, uh, which was uh, which was submitted for the NTR contest. Was that something that you wrote specifically for the contest? Because I don't think I saw it on Spotify. No, you know, I haven't been releasing a lot on Spotify. That's something I'm trying to figure out. It's just, I, I have so much material right now. I'm, I mean, I'm talking too much material like hundreds of songs. So it's really a matter of opportunity when I release something because a lot of my songs are, aren't, aren't cohesive enough yet to put on a, on a project. And I don't like releasing things, just sending them off into the world without supporting them. I feel like my songs and my children, if I'm going to release them, I need to have, a, have an army of support for them and, you know, and just pursue press and all, and all that stuff. So maybe that's a bit old school of me, but I wrote I've been writing songs, just trying to find a center for an album because I still think about um, a, a group of songs coming out together. That was just one that came out when I saw it was time for the um, for the Tiny Desk submissions. I, I didn't think it was a great fit for it, but just said, "Hey, this is where I'm at," mm-hmm. which is very weird for me. I usually overthink everything, um, so this is where I'm at. Hey, all right, all right. Here's the song, and they and they really responded to it. So that's a lesson for me. <laughs> you well, know, and, and you know, you got to go with the feel of the moment. You know, sometimes yeah. it's the moment to plan really in detail, and then sometimes it's like let's just let it flow. Well, you did a "Don't Overthink It" kind of yeah. punk influenced single, <laughs> which is so different than yeah. your solo electro pop work. How did how did that major shift happen? Well, if you saw my full catalog, you would truly see um, why I struggle so much with this. I have a, I have 
really a range of music that I love to create. So it's hard to, to try to stick to at least to have some cohesiveness as an artist. But I think in another life, I would have been a, um, a punk singer or a rock singer or uh, maybe a blues singer just with a, with a strong band presence and just a lot of energy. That's just one of my little pocket dreams that I have. And I have a, a friend out here in LA that I write songs with. They're not, they're not always punk, but that's his background. Mm-hmm. So he sent a song over to me that he, he didn't know what to do with. And I immediately connected with it and gave, the, gave him the line, don't overthink it, and was just passing ideas back and forth. That's what came out of it. So it's maybe a testament to collaboration that you get another side of yourself that comes out, but it felt very easy and natural and, and fun to do. I'd love to do more of it. Yeah. Well, I think it's a fun song and I put Thanks. it on our, uh, our women who rock playlist on Spotify. Excellent. So yay, you're on there. And speaking of singing, yeah, um, check that out. I, yeah, definitely. And speaking of singing, uh, did, have you always thought of yourself as a singer or how did, how did that come about? Because you also, you know, loop different sounds, not just yeah. of a typical melody, but you loop different sounds that you make. So did you always think of yourself as a singer? Yeah, I think I've always, before any other instrument, I was a singer. My whole family sings for like kind of a corny Brady Bunch when we get in a car together. Um, and I grew up singing in choirs and and choruses and singing harmonies, you know. So definitely, I think um, I took classical lessons in school as I was learning to be. I think when when you're learning to be, um, just studying to be a music teacher, you have to learn all the things because so much of it gets cut. You need to be somewhat flexible. So um, that was wonderful, and it gave me a lot of tools. But it also messed with my head as far as you know what singing is for me and how technical it is. So when I came back to creating creating music, I came back to kind of creating sounds when I'm creating pop music. Yeah, that's kind of where I landed. It's just using your using your body as an instrument, as a noise maker, mm-hmm. voice included. Voice included. And just voice so included. you know, you do have a strong stage and live performance voice. So there is that rock and roll, very, very soulful element. I know that Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, all of these women were influences for you. It comes through in that, in that very uh, strong, soulful tone that you have. And I highly encourage anybody, uh, whoever gets a chance to see your live performance to just buy those tickets, hold on to them. Don't lose them like I do. And go see it because if I, in fact, and don't buy them for the wrong city and don't buy them for the wrong city or the wrong day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was really struck by your, your vocal tone. And, um, it, oh, it reminded me a lot of how I feel when I listen to Michelle and Decchio cello, um, oh, wow. who I, the first time I saw her was, uh, <laughs> back when plantation lullabies came out and I believe it was 1994. 95. And when she first opened her mouth, I almost, I almost immediately started crying. I mean, you know, like that's what happens when I get over, she's so emotive and just silky, silky, soulful. And, um, it it was funny because in an interview, she said that originally she didn't want to sing and she was just playing bass and writing Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, her interviewer asked, well, well, what made you start? And she said, well, because all the singers kept bailing on me or not 
showing up. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and if of I wanted course. to record, I just had to start singing it myself. Wow. Um, I'm so glad they bailed. They ba- that's exactly what I know? was thinking. I was like, wow, what a stroke of luck in the universe that, you know, they bailed because <laughs> That I have now the opportunity to hear her sing, and I and I actually, when I was reading up on you and doing my little research, uh, saw that you played with Michelle and Dagio Cello, and I just wanted to ask about that experience. Oh my goodness! Well, when I look back on um, what I've been able to do in my career, that is one of the highlight moments of my life. And you know, I I didn't know who she was just. I confessing to you, I didn't know who she was when I, I was approached to open for her. So I just started digging around and stalking. And, you know, of course, within five seconds of looking into her, I said, oh, oh my gosh, like, this is a huge opportunity. Like, oh my goodness. I, I, of course I would open for her. So um, <laughs> it was really, it was really just a gift that I, I had a friend that was booking for World Cafe Live. And that's in Philadelphia area. It's now, uh, it's now owned by Live Nation. She just reached out and said, hey, this artist is coming through. I thought you'd be a good fit. So I looked into her and said, um, yeah, I'd be happy to do this. Oh my goodness. It was just such a wonderful experience. You know, an opening, an opening slot is a tricky thing. You're not the person that that audience has come to see. And you have to kind of keep that in mind as you're approaching them that you're, you're serving them in a way and you have to really win them over. But this audience was so beautiful. They ended up like giving me a standing ovation after that. Before Michelle and Decky of Charlie. So for, first of all, that just tells you what a gracious audience she had. Like just yes. how, what, what a present open audience she had. It was just really a beautiful, beautiful experience for me. And then just to sit back and watch her show was amazing. Yep. She is so funky. She is so soulful. She is so um, just raw and emotional and smooth. I mean, I, I can't say enough. I, I was just blown away. And after, even watching her show, thinking, oh my God, oh my God I just opened up for her. You know, so definitely fangirling hard <laughs> during that show. And well, yeah, she, it, it was she makes you emotional, amazing. doesn't she? She makes Oh, she just emotional. opens you up. Absolutely. She has such, such a gift. It's very, it's, for me, it's overwhelming. Like I said, I, you know, she definitely, I I swell in tears on that one. And, and there were two Mm -hmm. points about her too, that number one, you said, I didn't, how did I miss her? How did I not know who she is? Oh oh, yeah. I, I think that the, the radio stations of the United States have done themselves a huge disfavor by not playing her more often. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe that about a lot of female artists, but she's really toward the top of my list there. Of and course. then secondly, yeah. the other thing about Michelle is that she is, she walks the walk when it comes to supporting other women in music. And, uh, she, she, her groups go out of the, her, their way to ha- get people like you, you know, bring other females into open and to be a part of it. And I just, I'm super excited about that and, um, would like to get, your opinion on or advice for women who are working either in creative or technical, because what you do is very technical. For women who work in very creative or technical uh, jobs or careers, what is kind of one of the key success factors that maybe you could give them to say, this is something that I had to deal with or that I overcame and, and here would be some, you know, here's my lesson learned from that. 
Um, I think one tendency I had when I was starting out was to be a lone wolf. And I think that's really not the way to go. The more you can connect with fellow organizations, uh, sound girls, women in audio, women's audio mission, heroines of sound. I mean, there are so many groups trying to connect us. And I think they're really a powerful thing. So that's the first thing I would say is just connect with all those groups. I, every group that I meet, there's, there's at least one person in there that I find that becomes like a real advocate, a real lifelong friend, if you will. And especially as you're, as you're navigating through the music industry, if you have those people that are speaking for you, and are introducing you and, you know, just advocating for you, that goes so much farther than you advocating for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes a village. And then, and again, that's for any, any type of industry, but I find especially in male dominated industries, having meetups or associations or something where you have like-minded people or even other women, just women's groups where you can support each other, where you might not finding it otherwise. I think women, we can tend to feel like we can just try to do it all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's better to, to have a team and just try to work together as much as possible. Another thing I would say, if you're not familiar already, um, get on equal.com. That's a database of women in music and audio. That's uh, eql.com. Mm-hmm. I think sound girls put that together, but that's a fantastic resource. And it just helps, you know, whenever somebody says, Oh, you're a, you're a female producer. I, I don't know, come across many of those. I always say, oh, no, there are a lot of us. I could give you a list of 10 right now. Here's, here's equal.com. Like, don't, don't talk that way. There are a lot of great women sound engineers, audio, you know, mixing, mastering. There are a wealth of women in this industry. They're just hidden. And yeah, you're yes. right. They're not getting the, the radio spots. They're not getting the, the pitchfork write-ups that, that um, or even, you know, just the up, upper festival slots. There's just, mm-hmm. they're just, I know we have to talk about each other. Raise Which is exactly yeah. why we're here is to do that and share yeah, our stories. Right. I really appreciate too that you're not you're not just dealing in a male-dominated industry and technical and creative, but a newer art form and helping to pave that path and influencing and inspiring younger generations. I just want to say first of all, thank you so much oh. for doing that and for keeping that mentorship attitude, uh, wanting to incorporate that as you move forward. I would like if you can please tell people what your website address is so that they can come and look at your song lists and, and all your social media and your fun stuff. Thank you, Thea. Um, everything of mine is just under my name, Angela Sheik. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-S-H-E-I-K. That's my handle on Twitter, my handle on Instagram. That's my website, AngelaSheik.com. I've, the, most of what I've been releasing lately has just been through a Patreon website, if you're familiar with that. It's a subscription so that you, you choose a few artists that you want to um, support monthly. So you would give them a dollar a month or, you know, choose your, your level. There's just sharing. So sometimes they're sharing something that will go public and sometimes they're sharing things that will only stay there on Patreon. And to me, that's just, it's safe place to release all these songs that are just so, have such variety that I don't want to put it all under my artist's name into the public world per gotcha. se, at least until I get some, you know, feedback and see what people are really vibing with. Patreon's a good place to check out my stuff and Spotify. Yeah, it's all under my name. Okay. And I love this idea too, because then people can get involved and have fun with it. Maybe see things that they're not going to see elsewhere or find elsewhere and yeah. participate in the process, which yeah, I mean, it's 
yay, people go do this. Look up exactly. Angela and make this happen on Patreon. That's a lot of fun. And I have yeah, to say, uh, today interviewing you was a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and answer questions and share your story and supporting Backstage Chats Foundation, which produces this show. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Really, the pleasure is mine. And I so appreciate people who are just thinking outside themselves and thinking thinking beyond themselves and helping their community. Uh, so I really appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. Again, I'm your host, Thea Wood, and we love these ladies who we're interviewing. Why? Because they remind us to be dreamers, to be rule breakers, and to unleash our inner rock star. Take care, and we'll see you the next time. Rock on! Hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. This podcast is a production of the Backstage Chats Foundation, a nonprofit that is on a mission to eliminate gender disparity in the music industry by amplifying the voices and careers of women in music. You can make a difference by donating to the cause. Visit backstagechats.com and click the donate button today.